listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. Let me introduce myself in case we haven't had a chance to meet yet. My name is Andrew Petrush. Uh, I have the opportunity to serve as the executive pastor here at DCC, and I get the privilege of wrapping up our Sabbath series, Give It a Break. Uh, you have been able to listen to a lot of great communicators over the past several weeks throughout this series. Pastor Rocky kicked off this series talking about an eternal break. Pastor Scott talked about a vocational break. Pastor Zach talked about a financial break. And then last week, Pastor BJ talked about a mental break. And so today, I have the, uh, the, the task and the challenge of talking about a legalistic break, which is the irony is not lost on me that I'm talking about legalism on the day that we showed a video of our pastor in roller skates dressed as Luke Skywalker. So there we are. Today we're going to be in Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 23. And as you're turning there, um, I'm just wondering, just show of hands uh, real quickly, throughout this series, as we've said, give it a break, has anybody had a certain jingle from a certain commercial for a certain product in your mind when we've done that? If you're with me, raise your hand. A few of us? All right, I'm in good company. I don't know if you're in good company. That's what I've been, I've been thinking about it, right? If you're not clued in yet, I'm gonna help you along. I am by no means a singer, so please do not judge me. Give me a break, give me a break. Break me off a piece of that Chrysler car. Fancy feast, no. Kit Kat bar, right? Anybody remember the Kit Kat jingle? All month long, it's been in my head as an earworm. Today is the last day of give it a break, and so maybe that will exit my head and I will start to have other jingles in, my, in the place instead of that. Mark 2, starting in verse 23. One Sabbath, he, speaking of Jesus, was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, the disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how they entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you that it is powerful, and today we recognize your lordship. We recognize, Jesus, your lordship over the Sabbath, God, and we pray that if there is any place in our heart where we are hiding legalism, God, we pray that you would show us where that is, bring that to the surface, and allow the truth and the grace of Jesus Christ to cover that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I am a homebody. I like being home. Anybody with me, you enjoy being home. That's where all my stuff is. Why wouldn't I want to be there, right? And so I enjoy being home. That's my preference. Um, I recharge my batteries by being kind of like out, uh, you know, of, of the, the kind of the outside world and being to myself uh, with my family in my home. I know not everybody's wired like that. My wife is the exact opposite. She recharges her batteries by being around a bunch of people. I don't get it. I don't understand it. Those of you that that's how you're wired, I'm still not sure you're not lying to us all these years later. But that's not how I'm wired. I am what you would consider not an extrovert or an introvert, but a term that was coined by the millennial generation, thank God for millennials, is ambivert. 
An ambivert is kind of somebody that can kind of go back and forth. Not really like, you know, extrovert, not really introvert, can be extroverted in circum- certain situations like, I, like this, is, this is okay, I'm comfortable doing this, but I'm just as comfortable being alone and kind of reserved and, and in my home. And there's so these kind of like back and forth, really it's just a, it's a cool way to say that we are chameleons, I guess. That's what we can do. We can kind of change. And so, but my preference is when I have nothing else to do, which is very rare in our family, but if there's a Friday night where there's nothing going on, I am finally at the age where I embrace it and I wanna go home. I just wanna go home, I wanna hang out at home, I wanna do nothing at home. That is a blessing to me. Some of you, it's your nightmare, it's my blessing. But that blessing became a burden in March of 2020. Some of you know where I'm headed with this. As much as I love being home, I found out during the whole COVID thing. Now listen, I'm not here to talk about anything about COVID except it was what it is, whatever. I'm not here to do that. All I know is that in March, they were all saying, we don't know what this thing is. We need you to go home and stay home. And I said, yes, Lord. (laughs) For like a day. Because I realized that I really wanna be home until somebody tells me I have to be at home and then I wanna be anywhere else than home, right? Because in our home at the time, we had a three-year-old son that the preschool wasn't up, so we were the preschool. My nine-year-old daughter was going to school online, right? That was, you guys remember those days? That was fun. Uh, my wife was teaching full-time online and then we were still trying to hold everything together here and so I was filming and editing and producing all of the church online videos all at home. And that blessing of being at home became a burden very, very quickly. And I feel like what we read this morning in our text of this interaction with Jesus and the Pharisees with his disciples in the grain field was kind of a culmination of something that the Pharisees had taken. Religious elite, religious leaders had taken something that should have been a blessing and they turned it into a burden. You see, the Pharisees took the law and the gift of God, the blessing of the Sabbath, they wrapped it up in a bunch of rules, and then they made it burdensome. They were so legalistic about the when and the where and the how that they had completely lost sight of the why of Sabbath. And if we're not careful, here's the warning, is that we will fall into that same legalistic trap. Now, to fully understand where Jesus is coming from and what led to this moment of him having this interaction with the Pharisees and this confrontation, really, in the middle of this grain field on a Sabbath a couple thousand years ago, I want to provide a little bit of historical and cultural context, specifically about the Sabbath. And our pastors have done an amazing job of building this throughout the time. So some of this is going to be a repeat over the last month. Some of it is going to even be some of the stuff that that I was able to, to teach last year during Sabbath, but I think it's important so we all catch up to understand where we were at this time that Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees about the Sabbath. And so from creation, the Sabbath has been instituted for humans. So Jesus, or God was creating the world, and in six days, he created everything. On the sixth day, he created humanity. He created mankind, and then he rested on the seventh day, not because God needed a break, not because God needed a rest, but God is infinite He created humanity to be finite, and he realized that there was no way that humans could keep up with a seven days a week pace of work. And so he instituted by his own example a built-in culture, a rhythm of rest. 
And so from the very beginning of creation, Sabbath has been instituted in our rhythm. It's built into the rhythm of our lives. Fast forward a little bit and you have God's people, the Israelites, they're in captivity in Egypt. They don't have a choice to Sabbath. They are slaves. They don't get to choose when they wake up. They don't get to choose when they go to work. They don't get to choose if they go to rest and they didn't get to. Seven days a week, God's people were laboring and they were laboring to benefit someone else. There was no joy. There was no reward for this. There was no rest. And so God liberated his people, brought them out of Egypt. And as he is bringing them out of Egypt into the wilderness for a time before they get to the promised land, there are these laws that God gives to the Israelite people to live according to God's standards. It's what we know as the Torah. There were 300, I'm sorry, 613 laws on the books that God gave to Moses to then give to the people to live according to God's standards. And one of those is the Sabbath. One of those laws is to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Now this Sabbath command is both a commandment, but it's also a gift. It is a beautiful gift. But throughout the years, religious leaders kind of added bits and pieces to the law. Not just the Sabbath law, but all of it, but especially the Sabbath law. And they came up with not God's law. God's law was the written law of God, the Torah. But they came up with what was called the Mishnah. The Mishnah is the spoken law. And there was over 1,500 of these man-made laws that most of them, the intention was pure. Most of them, it was the religious leaders trying to make sure that they were putting guardrails around the rules that God had instituted. And so if that's the rule not to do this thing, then let's put a rule right here to make sure that we can't break this one so we won't even get close to that one. But that, my friends, is a very slippery slope. And so over 1,500 laws later, there are all these extras put on the law of God. And specifically when it comes to the law of Sabbath, there was something called the 39 Melahot. And the 39 Melahot were these 39 different categories of work that were broken down. And then under each one of these categories of work, there were subtext and bullet points and instructions under there. There were literally hundreds of laws just about the Sabbath, just about what work was and how you made sure not to do that on the Sabbath. Let me give you some examples of some of these laws. One law specified that the limit for travel on the Sabbath was 3,000 feet from the front door of your home with some exceptions. Eating was part of this, and there were a bunch of rules about food that day as well, but if you went 3,000 feet and then ate something, it was considered a new journey after that, so you could go another 3,000 feet, which sounds like a loophole until you realize that there's also a law on the book that you could not carry a load heavier than a dried fig, so you weren't packing a lunch and taking it with you very far. You could not throw an object into the air with one hand and catch it with the other hand. I've seen how unathletic some of you are. You don't have to worry about that. You ain't working about that one. Baths could not be taken because there was a fear that the water would spill over and hit the floor, therefore cleaning the floor, which was considered work. One of the most obvious and maybe egregious ones of all was there is a law on the book, part of these 39 different sections of what work was, that if someone became ill on the Sabbath, only enough treatment could be given to keep that person alive until after the Sabbath was over. 
So imagine, in our context right now, you leave here, you walk outside, you trip and fall, you break your arm, right? You go to the emergency room, you want someone to help you, and they look at you, and they hand you a pain pill and some antibiotics and say, we can't do anything for you, we can just make sure you don't die until tomorrow. Like, can you, I, that, that's the world that these people were living in, and it was stifling, it was oppressive. There were so many rules, so many laws. It was exactly the opposite of the spirit of Sabbath and what God intended. You see, the Torah, the original law given down by God, said simply to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy with a few quick bullet points, a few little subtle suggestions and guidelines like rest, cease from work, celebrate, remember, observe, deny yourself, and delight. See, there wasn't a ton of rules and regulations piled on from God about the Sabbath because God's intention for the Sabbath is not to overcomplicate it. It's not to add weight to a commandment and a gift that is intended to lighten the load. Jesus kind of puts the, the, the button on this on top of this when he is in his conversation with the Pharisees in Mark chapter two and verse 27 when he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He's trying to correct their, their, their poor thinking. He's trying to correct what they've been doing and, and all the laws that they've instituted to make it difficult for people to practice the Sabbath. He's saying, listen, Pharisees, you've got it upside down. You've got it backwards. It's twisted. It's, it's not supposed to be that we have to work really, really hard to keep Sabbath. It's that the Sabbath is a gift for humanity. And they had it all backwards and all messed up because the Sabbath was created to be more about rest than about rules. You see, as God's people tend to do, though, over time, those religious leaders, they crept slowly away from God's intentions and the spirit of Sabbath, and it became more about the rules than the ruler. You see, these Pharisees were not focused on the one who gave the commandment for Sabbath anymore. They were strictly focused on following to the dot all of the rules that they had put on the books. A friend, that is the perfect definition of legalism, when the rules become more important than the ruler. You see, legalism reduces uh, our life to mere technicalities. It, it replaces uh, relationship with rules, it substitutes code for conscience. It, it substitutes ritual for worship and morality for purity. And the Pharisees, they perfected legalism. I mean, by their trade, they perfected it. They built up all of these rules and all of these regulations in the name of doing good and honoring God. But honestly, what it really served to do, it served to prop up their own self-righteousness and it gave them a platform to stand over the people that they led and make them feel guilty when they couldn't live up to the impossible standards. You see, they viewed the rules, again, most of which were created by man, as the most important thing, and they refused to embrace the spirit of Sabbath. They hung everything on their personal ability to create and follow the stifling laws. Now, hang with me, because the legalistic mindset that these Pharisees held, especially about Sabbath, is in direct opposition to the freedom that Jesus came to offer. And so when we see Jesus in the grain field walking with his disciples, and his disciples are picking some heads of grain because they're hungry, and they're eating them as a snack, and the Pharisees come up to confront them because all they know about the Sabbath is all of the rules of the Sabbath, and that was against the rules, Jesus at that moment came face to face with legalism. 
He came face to face with these individuals who refused to embrace the spirit of the Sabbath. And that is what he was confronting, was their legalism. You see, Jesus was not upset at all with the Pharisees for keeping the Sabbath. He wasn't. Jesus was not upset with the religious leaders for looking at a law that God had passed down that is healthy for humanity. Sabbath is healthy for us. It is a good thing for us. It is a gift for us. He was not upset with those religious leaders about observing the Sabbath. He was upset and offended that they were taking that and twisting it to what it had been. In fact, God or Jesus was not trying to undo any of the Sabbath laws from God. Matthew 5 and 17, from Jesus's own mouth, says, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come to abolish, not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. You see, Jesus did not come to abolish the Sabbath, but he came to dig it out from under the mountain of legalism that it was stuck under and give it back to us again as that blessing instead of that burden that it had become. Because the spirit of Sabbath is liberty, but the Pharisees had a way of turning that into legalism. Now, before we get too judgy, because we tend to do that, right? Okay, I tend to do that. Wow, blank stares. Okay, uh, I know none of you are ever judgy. I'm judging you right now for saying that you're not judgy, for judging, anyway. Before we get too judgy, and we look at these Pharisees, and we look down our nose, and we're like, how dare they? Like Jesus, like Jesus was right there, and that's how they were talking to him, and how dare they live that way, and how dare they put all those rules on that. We all have to understand that we are predisposed to being Pharisaical ourselves. We have a propensity to be very legalistic, and I get it, you're pushing back, not me. No, 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 that's how I grew up. Like, my family was super legalistic, right? Like, I, I, you know, like if they would have showed a video with a pastor on skates as Luke Skywalker, forget it about it. Like, the people would have left the church and they would have had pitchforks and torches and the whole thing. Like, it would have been like that, you know? Like, no, I'm not, I'm not like that. I'm not legalistic like that. I'm not holier than thou. I don't, I don't treat people that way. I'm, I'm, I'm not like that. I'm not legalistic. There's no legalism in me at all. But that's not the only way that legalism shows its ugly head. You see, legalism is also just going through the motions of religion, the motions of our faith without any intentionality or purpose. And that's where legalism can creep into the cracks of the faith foundation that we have, and it hides very, very well. And can we just be very, very frank and honest about legalism this morning? Well, it doesn't really matter if I have your permission. I'm gonna do it anyway. Legalism feels good in a very prideful way. It feels good. Because legalism basically says there are these set of rules and standards that I can attain, and if I do A, B, C, and D in order and I do them really well, then I get to be a good person today. And if I get to be a good person, that means that there's a really good chance that I'm better than some other person, and that makes me feel really good about myself. And so we have a habit of getting into this legalistic mindset about things because that becomes the reward that we seek. We seek that reward of that instant gratification of doing something that is good, of, of reading scripture, of praying, of coming and worshiping together, of observing the Sabbath, of fasting. We take those things that are holy and that are pure and that lead us to a closer relationship with God and we reduce them to some boxes on a checklist that when we check it off, we feel like, okay, we're good people now. I, I, like, maybe I'm good enough to earn God's acceptance today. And we'll never say it out loud, but that's the way that sometimes we tend to live our lives. 
And if you're still not sure if you fall into this category of there being a place in your heart or your life where legalism might be hiding out, then let me ask you to answer some questions to yourself. Don't answer these out loud. But have you ever felt better than someone else because you're doing the right thing and they're not? Have you ever fasted, prayed, read scripture, honored the Sabbath, and then patted yourself on the back for it? Have you ever held others to standards that you have in your life, even though they're not necessarily biblical standards? Have you ever just gone through the motions? Just pray, read, come to church, just to check the box, just to feel like you're a good person. The reality is is that we fall into legalism a whole lot more often than we care to admit. And we can look at these Pharisees and say, how dare they do this? But we have to first look in our own heart and our own lives and say, okay, God, is there a place in my life where I am trying to attain or achieve or earn or gain something by following the rules and being a good person without the relationship with Jesus Christ? Because any time that we follow the rules to earn God's approval, we find legalism. Any place that there is pride in our heart, the conditions are ripe for that legalistic mindset to grow. And so Jesus confronts the Pharisees, their legalism right there in that grain field on that Sabbath day. They come up and they start making trouble for his disciples and Jesus stands up for his disciples, but he really stands up for all of us when he starts to give this example of this Old Testament happening with King David and what he did and if that wasn't breaking the law, then why is this breaking the law? Because he was speaking in the Pharisees' language. They knew the law inside and out and he stumped them with this one and so he confronts them because he's tired. He's tired of them ruling over, lording over the people that he came to give freedom to and making Sabbath so difficult that nobody could get any joy, any rest, any pleasure out of the gift that God gave. And so it comes ahead in that grain field and they start having this conversation, having this confrontation and Jesus confronts the Pharisees' legalism with the truth that they were missing. They had all the rules, but they were missing the truth. Jesus confronts them with the truth. You know what the truth is? It's Jesus. Jesus confronts them with the truth that they were missing, and it's him, because he is the way, the what? The truth and the life. And so Jesus himself walks up to these Pharisees who take so much pride in doing all of the right things and following all of the rules and being great, holy people and how righteous they are. Jesus himself, the truth, walks up to them and starts teaching them about the truth, and the Pharisees that spent their whole lives following the rules, they missed the point. These Pharisees, they had him standing right in front of them, and they didn't even recognize that he was the one that Sabbath is about. See, Paul says it like this in Colossians 2 and 16 and 17, when he's teaching this church in in, uh, Colossae that has uh, been infiltrated with all of this false doctrine and he's trying to clear some of this stuff up and so much judgment in this church, one person judging another person for what they're doing, just, I mean, riddled with, uh, with all kinds of, um, of just man-made rules. And he says this in verse 16, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. So he's speaking specifically about some of these practices and traditions, and Sabbath is one of those things by name that he mentions. And then verse 17, it gets really good. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance 
belongs to Christ. I'm going to read that one again. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. We all know what a shadow is. We all understand that a shadow is not a substance. There is nothing to it. You can't touch it. You can't feel it. You can't move it on its own. It is simply the evidence of the object that creates it. A shadow just points to its maker. And Paul is telling us in this this passage of Scripture that our practices and traditions, including Sabbath, all they are are shadows that point to something else. All they are is, is, is us seeing what we can see and allowing it to point us to the substance of that shadow, and Jesus is the substance of that shadow. But the Pharisees were serving the shadow of Sabbath, and they were missing the Savior completely. They knew everything about Sabbath, but they didn't recognize the Lord of the Sabbath when he was standing directly in front of them. And listen, this is the danger of legalism. When we let legalism into those prideful places in our lives and in our hearts, the biggest danger is that we focus so much on checking the boxes and following all the rules of religion that when Jesus shows up in the room, we don't even recognize him because we are so focused on doing all of the things that we have missed the spirit of Sabbath when that happens. You see, God's intention for the Sabbath is not legalism. It's not being weighed down by the guilt of following all the rules. When we approach Sabbath legalistically, we have a tendency to squeeze all the joy and all the rest right out of it. And simply put, Sabbath should not be a have to. Sabbath is a get to. We get to participate in Sabbath because it is a gift for us. So we cannot afford, listen, we need Sabbath We need Sabbath rest, and so we cannot afford to approach the Sabbath with legalism like the Pharisees, but we also can't afford to do away with any and all structure at the same time. See, we've gotta have some parameters in place. We can't just come and say, well, you know, I'm not gonna be legalistic about it, so anything goes. We can't do that because we know how we work. I don't know about you, but I don't accidentally ever fall into Sabbath, ever, like, it's never like, you know, and maybe that's just, I don't know, maybe that's how I'm wired. Maybe for you it's a little bit easier. But if I'm not intentional about it, I don't just, like, in the middle of the day one day, like, look around and be like, oh, my gosh, I'm in the middle of Shabbat. That's amazing. I didn't do anything to prepare for this. It just kind of happened. It doesn't happen like that. Unless we are intentional about it, our time will control us unless we choose to control our time. So we have to put some parameters in place. We've got to put some brackets on things. Dare I say We've got to put some self-made rules and laws and regulations on our own life to make sure that we are observing the Sabbath so that it doesn't get away from us, so that time doesn't take its rightful place of where the Sabbath should be. And if we don't have those boundaries, then we'll never really truly understand that Sabbath rest. And so we can't afford to be legalistic like the Pharisees. We can't. We can't and and truly enjoy and understand the Sabbath rest, but we also can't be completely lawless either. We can't just hope that Sabbath happens. We have to have some markers in the ground. We have to put some stakes down. We have to put some brackets on our lives to make sure that we are living in this tension. And if it seems a little overwhelming, welcome to Sabbath. It's the reason that we have Sabbath. A couple of weeks ago, me and my family went on vacation, and, uh, and, and this was one this summer that was supposed to be a big vacation. We were supposed to do, you know, I don't, I don't we don't do a lot of, like, big vacations. It's going to be a big one. 
So we were talking about going out west and, and doing like Disneyland. It's my wife's bucket list. And so we were going to go do Disneyland. My nightmare. My absolute nightmare. Um, but I was going to do it because I love my wife. And, uh, and so we were trying to plan all this. And, and, and um, I'll tell you just in full transparency, this year has been a doozy for us and our family. I mean, it has been a really, really hard year. And we, uh, we were just weary. Um, we were just feeling like the weight of all of these different things that were happening. Um, and as we were planning this vacation, it, it started to, like, the weight got heavier. Um, and, and we kind of, like, recognized, wait a second, what are we doing? Like, we're, we're planning a trip to get away to try to relax and refresh, but it's, it's causing anxiety and stress just to plan this trip. What is, what is the point of all of this? And so we backed up from that, and we decided to go on a vacation that when we were done with that vacation, we wouldn't have to take a vacation to recover from the vacation. Does that make sense? So we just decided to go to the beach. We decided, hey, the beach is close, and we got a really nice place, this condo on the beach. I could slide the doors open and hear the waves. That's therapy for me. I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, as much as my wife loves like all things that Disney World and Disneyland, I like the ocean. As much as I don't like Disneyland, she doesn't like the ocean. So it was a give and take. Um, but my kids enjoyed it, and we had, uh, we had a great time there. And this, this place that we had, it was, I mean, we opened up on the balcony, and the water was right there. It saw dolphins in the water from the balcony. I mean, it was like the dream, really. Like, that is my dream, to retire and live at a place right there on the water. And I've told my kids that. I've told my family that. And one morning, I was sitting out on the, on the, the back patio. Me and Lincoln, my six-year-old son, we'd have breakfast out there every day. And, um, and we just kind of watched the waves and the whole thing. And so one day, he just looked at me, and it just dawned on him. He goes, Dad, this is your dream. I was like, What? He said, this is your dream. You're living on the water. I was like, buddy, you're right, but it's only five days. Can we do it for more? Like, the dream is like extended, like living, living there at some point after retirement, right? But in this old building, it's probably about 50 years old. A lot of it had been renovated, but there was only one elevator for probably 40-something units. And there were seven floors, and we were on the seventh floor, and so the elevator was old. There was no AC in the elevator, so as soon as you got in, it just instant pouring sweat. And it was a little sketchy, I'm not gonna lie. You step in the elevator, you press the button, you wait, you pray, you fast. You can have a whole Sabbath while you're waiting on the thing to go. Doors close, and then it still thinks about it a little bit, and then before it goes, every single time, it drops about a foot, and then it goes up. I don't know if you've ever been on an elevator. I don't have a fear of elevators, but this elevator made me think maybe I should have a fear of elevators. I don't know. So you get on this thing, you push the button, and whoop, it drops down, and then it starts to kind of shake a little bit and shimmy as it's going up. And every time I'm just like, is this, is this the last time? Like, is this, is this the last time that this thing's gonna work maybe? I don't know. How, when's this thing serviced? Nobody knows. And it made me think about something I don't normally think about. How do elevators work? I don't usually think about it. I get on an elevator, I press a button, then I go to where I'm supposed to go. And so I, I, I was thinking about this and, and I don't know all of the logistical things and so all of the engineers in the room, uh, please just forgive this, this next little brief, terrible illustration, Paul. Um, but uh, there's this cable that is attached to the top of that elevator car. And that cable has to maintain a certain amount of tension or else it's not gonna work properly and it could be dangerous. So if there's not enough tension in this cable, then the elevator's not gonna go anywhere. The pulley system and all of the different levers and fulcrums and whatever else that's in there, um, it, it, it's not going to, to do its job. You're not gonna move. You're gonna press the button. There's not enough tension. It's not gonna go anywhere. On the other hand, if there's too much tension, over a period of time that could compromise the integrity of this cable and it could snap, causing my new worst fear to come true, right? 
And so there is this tension that exists in this elevator to get to the appropriate place that you're trying to get through. This tension is a good tension. If the tension doesn't exist, nothing happens there. And I can't help but think that the Sabbath is not too dissimilar to that. That there is this tension that we have to hold on to in the Sabbath. That there is this tension of, of being wound so tight that we're legalistic and we try to follow all the rules and we try to make our way to heaven just by checking off all the boxes. But then there's this other side where it's just lawless and we don't do anything. And maybe if we wake up that day, we feel like recognizing and honoring the Sabbath and maybe it'll happen and maybe it'll won't. And so there's this, this, this gap in between and there is this tension that can be found in Sabbath that I believe God invites us into. Not a tension of legalism or lawlessness, but a tension of those two things coming together and meeting in the middle. Between having no boundaries at all and being oppressive and stifling with all of our rules. It is in this tension, I believe, that the freedom of Sabbath is really found. It's where God renews us. It's where God breathes life into our tired, overworked, anxious souls. It's where we find the rest that we didn't even know we were looking for. It's in this tension that we don't control, we don't create, we don't make anything happen. It's in this tension that we can unload our heavy burdens. It's in this tension that we can find joy and it's in this tension that we can find the cure for legalism which is God's love and God's grace and God's mercy because you didn't do anything to earn Sabbath. You didn't do anything to deserve it. It was instituted at the creation. There's no need to strive, there's no need to earn. And in this tension, this is what God is after, in this tension of Sabbath between legalism and lawlessness, there's this tension of trust. There's this tension of trust because it's, okay, God, I can't control everything, but God, I trust you to make some things happen. God, I, I, I trust you in the tension of Sabbath to, to do more in one day than I can do in six, so I'm gonna give this day to you. We can trust that the Lord of the Sabbath is there. And it is in that tension that Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, found and taught us about in the grain field that day. And that's that same tension that Jesus, I believe, invites us into today. You see, that's the spirit of the Sabbath. Trust. Trust. Trusting in the middle of the tension. Trusting that God is in control. Trusting that his ways are higher than our ways. And so today, this is the last installment of our Sabbath series. July is almost over. And so we are exiting our month of Sabbath as a church, but we don't exit Sabbath as a practice for us as individuals. So even though our church is coming to a place where until next July, when we do this again, our month of Sabbath is ending, I would like to invite you into a perpetual Sabbath. As we near this, this end of our Sabbath, I invite you to lean into the tension of Sabbath rest. Not because you have to, because you don't. Not because you've earned it, because you haven't. But because the Lord of the Sabbath loves you so much that he created it. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.